Good morning. I'm going to be looking, um, the text, one of the texts will be in 2 Chronicles. It's a verse kind of we're familiar with. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I just want to share this morning on, um, we've been, as you heard, we've been praying on Wednesday night uh, for a revival that um, God would, and we'll explain as, as I go through this message what a revival is. We're praying for that, and um, just want to challenge you and invite you to come out because um, that's kind of the direction, the spirits between me and Pastor Jeff directing us to really intensely pray that God would move in a powerful way. And we're going to see this morning that sometimes we have a concept that, a, that revival is this big thing. It could end up big, but basically it's personal. It's a revival in your life. It's something that God wants to do in your life. And what happens is when it starts, and that's, as I prepared for this, I mean, I've, the, I'm with you. I'm, I'm no different than you. I'm a believer. And challenged to, um, okay, Lord, what is it that you want to do in my life? And what does he want to do in our lives? And that is what he wants to do in the church. And I think back in, the, 19, the middle of the 1970s and moving forward probably to the latter part of the 1980s, I would probably think, in my opinion, that there was, a, there was an awakening in America. It was called the Jesus Revolution. And um, so many things were going wrong in the country between the Vietnam War and all of the kinds of things that um, we, were in a t we were in a tough spot. And I, and I imagine people began to pray. And what happened was... Um, you'll see that revival is first, and that awakening is a movement of God. It's supernatural, and people come to Christ. I've, I've, seen, I've seen that happen. I've seen, uh, when this church started on State Street, I've seen a Bible study of like three people in a basement of an older lady's house grow to a church. This was just in this church, to over 450 people. And... Um, see a Christian school, and to see 35 people from that church go to the mission field, and so many other things that happen. So I've experienced that. I've seen what God can do, and um, I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know the future. I don't know if there is one more awakening for us, but all we can do is seek the Lord and pray and see what he can do. Amen? Amen. Because we don't know. I mean, you go online, you'll see a million different people you know, prophesizing of all these different things. And it's just like, yeah, maybe God gave them a word, but sometimes they don't have a clue what God wants to do. And that's a being negative. It's just, you know, you just got to be careful who you're listening to and what people are saying. And so I have one, defini two definitions on revival. The first one, Mary. Revival is a renewed zeal to worship and obey God then revival is a supernatural event that only comes by the sovereign decree of God. It's a supernatural event um, because, in my opinion, there's going to be nothing short of a revival that's going to change the United States of America because the issue is really the heart, and only Jesus Christ can change the heart of somebody. And so we will ask him, and we will seek him, and we will pray to him that, and he will use us in this revival. Because even if there is no revival here all at once, all it takes is one person, 
one person to light the match. Someone who is revived in their own heart to the things of God. The thing you're going to think in your mind is, well, I don't need a revival. I got, I'm pretty much all set. We, we all need to be revived. Amen. That's the first step is, is to admitting that. Yeah, maybe some more than others will think in our mind, but basically there, there needs to be a renewal of our love for Jesus. And you can't produce a revival. You can't produce it in your flesh. You can't say, I'm going to revive myself. All you can do is look to the sovereign God who has the grace to empower this as you decide to cooperate with him. As you decide to cooperate with him. He wants to go way beyond our expectations. Way beyond. Whatever we're thinking here, there's no limit what God can do. And so... Yeah, while we cannot produce revival, we can meet the so-called requirements set forth in these verses we're going to look at that will make revival much more likely. In other words, there's some certain things that have to take place in our lives, in a church's life, for this revival to happen. doesn't mean that if we do these things, revival is going to happen. All I'm saying is if revival is going to happen, those things have to be in our lives. God has to be working in that way. So 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There's a lot in that verse. There's a lot of different issues in that verse. This was, God was speaking to King Solomon at the time, at the dedication of the temple. God's promised that if you turn from sin, call on him, walk in his ways, we'll experience revival in our lives. We'll experience revival in a church. Another definition, it's not going to be up there if you want to just listen. Revival is, a, what is revival? It's a regaining life, a regaining life, giving new strength. Regaining that, you know, John said to the church in Ephesians, he says, he looked at the church of Ephesians and he said, you've left your first love. You've left your first love, meaning you had all these things okay, but your first love, which, which basically means loving me. That's the key to everything. If you're in love with him, all these other things just fall right in place. And that's between you and God, but basically it's falling back in love, that first love that you had. You ask yourself the question, um, well, I used to share the gospel more, not so much now. I used to pray more, but not so much now. I used to come to church more, but not so much now. Basically, what we're saying is we need to be revived in those areas because that's not normal for all of us. That's not the normal place to be. It's become a routine, and it's because we've left our first love. I don't think, 
I don't think anything can be changed unless there is, unless as Christians, we have a bold, radical faith. The world is radical. The world is strong in what they believe. And I don't mean in the flesh. I'm just saying through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a radical, bold faith. That'll, that, the Holy Spirit will do that. All we have to do is say, I want that. So there's, I, I had four things that I think prevent revival in us as individuals. The first one is um, pride is the enemy of revival. Because in that verse it says, if we'll humble ourselves, what does that word pride mean? It means to swell up. Pride has eaten up churches, destroys, it destroys the power in the church. What happens is we learn to function without God. We do that in our own lives. Some of us are, are naturally, uh, maybe personality more stronger than others, and we're able to get by without God. And um, what happens is, how could, how could we land in this situation? There was someone named Lucifer who was in the presence of God, could see him, and actually thought, I want to be above him. That's pride. And I think if we... I, the thought that's been on my mind for the last year is basically what goes on in our life and with people's lives and um, it's like everything kind of funnels right down to pride. People will come up with different issues, why this and why I don't do that and why I don't do this and they'll put labels on it and they'll say because of this and because of that. Everything kind of just filters right down to pride. Me and you. Sometimes the heart is wicked, deceitful. We don't even know it, and we're operating in pride, and, but we put another title on it. We say it's not that. And so that's one of the problems with revival. If my people will humble themselves. Humble themselves. Proverbs, uh, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you submiss be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You want grace from God? Humble yourself. In other words, he's everything. I'm really nothing, even though I'm everything in Christ. He's, he's everything. It's a healthy fear of who God is. And then in Proverbs 8.13... The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth hate. Pride. Pride will take you down. What are some of the evidences of pride? Pride refuses to listen to someone else. When someone's trying to give you instruction, I don't care who you are, people are going to instruct me, people are going to instruct you. I refuse to listen to that. I know, I know better than you know. I don't need to really hear that. That's pride. Intense desire to be noticed. Not thankful. Exalts itself. Cannot be corrected. Just thinks of their own needs. That's pride. Thank God for the grace of God. Now, there's forgiveness in Jesus. And yet, our flesh is still there. It still operates. That word humble, another thing, to bend the knee, come under God's authority. We're dependent on him. John 15, 5. 
I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Say this together with me. For without me, you can do nothing. There's not a single thing you can do without God. Whether you believe it or not, right now your heart is beating. You have no control over it. You're alive. Without him, you can do nothing. And without him working through your life, we can't do the things that God wants us to do and accomplish. It's him working through us. Realizing we can do nothing without him, the second thing is prayerlessness is the enemy of revival. So I said, revival starts personally with me first. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with you. We can't just make it very vague and say, well, revival for the church. No, revival for me. Revival for you. Revive. When someone is in a place where they're kind of almost dying, and God wants to revive that person. You know that, that first love when you were on fire for God? You can't say, oh, I'm going to try to go duplicate that now. It's not going to work. You, you just have to seek God and let him, because you were seeking God when that was going on. Something was going on. You were able to do the things that God wanted to do like that. It was easier. Now it's like what happens, time goes on, we get comfortable, we get our our excuses, we got our, well, I'm, you know, I can't, I, I remember when I used to do that, I was a little crazy, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> not really, I mean, God used it, and we become too sophisticated. Prayerlessness is kind of like the cousin to pride. I don't need to call on the Lord. Prayerlessness relies on self and resources self can produce. One person said, prayer is the ultimate statement of inability. Prayer is the ultimate statement of inability. In other words, I pray because I know I can't do it. So maybe people who pray more are people who know, have a greater sense that they know that they can't do it and they need God every step of the way. If you think you can do it, you're probably going to pray less. And prayer is the engine that runs it, because what we're doing is we're, on Wednesday night, we're praying, God, we can't change the situation. We can't change our lives. We can't change this country. You can make, you can put band-aids on certain things, but you can't really get to the root of this. Only you can. The thing is, do you believe it? Some of us do, and some of us don't. We've been geared and trained. If you weren't brought up in a Christian way, you've been geared and trained to pull this off yourself, to do this on your own. Yeah, some people can help me, but I've got to do it. I'm not saying you don't put in an effort, but we've been trained to think, this is all about me, and I've got to do it. No, it's all about God and what he can do. 
Like I said, we can have prayer and no revival. You could pray. We could pray as a church. That doesn't mean we're pressing the buttons for God and revival is going to come. But we will never have revival apart from prayer. So yeah, we can pray and do that and say, okay, it didn't happen. It still depends on God. But if we want, if revival is going to happen, prayer would have been a part of it. You check, you read through church history, you look through revivals, single people, uh, two older ladies. It's, it's amazing. The great Welsh revival, these ladies were praying for like 10 years for something to happen, and something happened. We don't know what God can do and what God wants to do. But I know one thing, he wants to use every one of us. Something here by Charles Finney, who was a great preacher. It says, prayer is the essential link in the chain of events that leads to revival. It's the essential link. We have an opportunity. Number one priority is that you're praying alone with God in your closet. That supersedes everything. Your time with God, praying for that, praying for yourself. And the second thing is, that's personal prayer. And the second part is corporate prayer as we pray as a church. And God is not limited to numbers. Like I could see the crowd here today, and then as we're praying Wednesday night, it's probably whittled down to 20 people. That doesn't mean God can't still do it. I'm just inviting you to be a part of it. Because God can have two people here on Wednesday night, and if he wants to do it, he hears us, he'll do it. Another quote from Leonard Ravenhill, who was another teacher and a preacher. The church is dying on its feet because it's not living on its knees. I mean, Pastor Jeff, we talk, we've read things. There's not very many churches that are praying intently, you know, a certain service just to pray. They're not. I'm not saying we're better than them. I'm just saying the church has somehow gotten away from it, and it, it gets into, you know, just the way things are. There's nothing wrong with the way worship is, but all of a sudden it becomes like an entertainment thing. And people want certain songs. They want certain ways. They want the lighting a certain way. Well, where's the revival with all that? It takes seeking God and praying. Oh, that's old-fashioned? No, that's, that's Bible. The third thing that um, is the enemy revival is priorities. Because it says in there, seek his face. That word seek means to search out by any method, worship, prayer, seek his face, to turn towards his direction. To turn towards his direction, not your direction, his direction. means to stop looking for help and purpose in every other thing in life. May God be your primary purpose. Yeah, I understand you got to work, you got to do those things, but some people turn work, into, turn work, they're workaholics. They're spending more time at work. They spend less time at church. They spend less time with God. Their priorities are wrong. 
in the end, it's not going to make a difference. The difference is going to be when you stand before Jesus is like, okay, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your rewards. He knows what we do. He knows what our priorities are. But we're bombarded with other things all the time. This becomes, well, this is, it's never, it's never something evil. It's always something good that gets in the way of what God wants to do. Hear this, revival doesn't come to people who seek revival, but to those who seek God. Yeah, we want revival, but when I'm, I'm not going just to get revival. I'm seeking God. And if I seek God, my life will be revived. Our potential, we don't even know. We're like scratching the surface, I believe. The gifts that God has given you through his spirit and the things that you can do um, that are untapped, things that sometimes were gifted at a certain time of our life, all of a sudden uh, come to another time of our life, another season, we're older, and God can, I'm not a, a person who believes we get all the gifts at once. I think God can just give those gifts at his timing when he wants to. And so who knows what he wants to do in your life? But what happens? We got it all figured out, and we got it all planned and boxed in, and we have no room for God. I have to answer for the same things you do. I'm no better than you. I'm not talking down to you. I'm, an, I'm a Christian like you are, but I have to answer those same things. Seek falling in love with Jesus all over again. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's, that's a promise. It's not like you're going to draw near to God and he's going to back away from you. You draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. But we make the first step. And sometimes in his grace, yeah, he will move first. But usually he's waiting for you to make a choice to, okay, do you love me? Do you, are you going to come to me? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A double-minded man, it says in James, is unstable in all his ways. When you're double-minded, it's like spiritual schizophrenia. You're like, you're just, you don't know this, that. Should I do this? Should I do that? The only thing I can tell you is the more you draw closer to him, the more you're going to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you what to do. You're going to hear it as you pray. You're going to hear it through the word as you read it, as you hear it, as you fellowship. You're going to sense his spirit and then that still small voice not the voice of our emotions our emotions tell us a lot of things that aren't accurate at all and that's that's a battle some of us with our own personalities and our own personal dna we have a hard time with that that doesn't mean god can't he can't speak to you and you can't hear him Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What is the number one priority in your life? One person said, want to know your priority, what they are? What activity takes most of your time? 
Where is most of your money spent? Your thoughts or your focuses are on what? Yeah, we're going to spend a lot of time in our life working. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You have to work. But putting that aside, what do you spend most of your time doing? There's a lot of lures to pull you away. Misplaced priorities are the enemy of, re of real revival. So I'm going to have you turn just quickly to Jonah chapter 3, the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, and we see in the first part of the chapter, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. You know Jonah, he was trying to run away from what God wanted him to do. He says, go to Nineveh, the great city. Jonah arose, went there, began to enter the city. Verse 5, Jonah 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered, his, covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn away, turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil, and he said that he would, that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So here were the people of Nineveh, misplaced priorities. All of a sudden, they got their priorities straight. Someone had to go and tell them. Someone did tell them, Jonah, the reluctant speaker for God, but eventually he did it, and he didn't want to see this happen because he hated those in Nineveh. And what did God do? They got their priorities straight, and there was a great revival in Nineveh. Maybe we should make our baths <laughs> <laughs> Never know. The fourth thing is uh, presumption is the enemy of revival. says, turn from your wicked ways. Israel was guilty of presuming upon God's grace and goodness. What happens is, I'm saved and some things I do, we think don't matter, but they do. Sin closes God's ear to our prayer. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us, but there's a block there. We're presuming on God's grace. We take, it, we take advantage of God's grace. Say, well, yeah, it's no big deal. I'm going to heaven. It's by his grace, and I don't really have to worry about this. Not really. Romans 6, 14, and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under grace, under law, but under grace? Certainly not. 
We don't. I under, we understand God's grace. We understand it's unmerited favor. We get what we don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's his grace. But on the other side, there needs to be a healthy fear of God. This is, this is Jesus Christ we're talking about. Like, what would we do if he was standing right here? But it shouldn't be different. We take grace, use it as a license to do what I want. And here's, here's what grace should do. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Let's say this together. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more than they all. Yet not I, the grace of God was with me. That was the Apostle Paul talking. I am what I am by the grace of God, but because I understand grace, I labor more than anybody. Faith without works is dead. Doesn't mean it saves you, it just means that it's not an act of faith. Me and Pastor Jeff, we talk all the time. It's just like, this is not one of those, mes- this is one of those messages I could try to avoid and get around, but I know that I'll stand before him. And it's just like, sometimes there has to be a wake up or a warning or that kind of thing because that's our responsibility. Amen. And so you can do with it what you want. All I know is I know what I have to do. I'm trying to tell you that God, love doesn't stop, but man, This love should cause us to labor more abundantly than anyone. Not that it's competition between us, but it's just like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Never a license to sin. Revival will come when God's people adopt the attitude that gripped the heart of the people in Nineveh. The same thing. They They dealt with their issues and they moved on. You don't have to live in guilt, condemnation. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to um, be condemned. Say, Lord, that's right. You, show, you, show, you, you put the light on that, and I recognize that that is it. That's what's blocking the way in my life, and that's got to go. And you'll give me the grace and the strength to do it. Amen. They pro- He promised Israel, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. One person said, what's the description of revival? God hearing, God cleansing, and God working. I'll say it again. God hearing, God cleansing, and God working. That word heal means stitch back together. Basically, put it back together. God puts it back together. We don't put it back together. We just have to be willing and wanting and cooperate with what he wants to do. And so it's not, this is not a thing of the past of revival. To me, this week is a very frustrating week for me, very hard for me, when you know what's right and, and just the things that go on. It's like, God, where are you? What's going on? And then... 
I read that verse in Psalm 107, and it says, they asked God for a king, and God gave them a king, and then he sent leanness to their hearts, meaning, you look up that word that's in the King James, it's, it can be destruction. Maybe God has to bring us down further. Not us, but the revival starts here, but for the world to begin to look to Christ. Maybe things are going to get worse. I don't know. could be totally wrong. I'm just thinking. I don't, know what, I don't know what God's doing. All I know is if we are revived, we'll have our place in what's going to happen. Amen? Amen. So the enemies of revival are pride, prayerlessness, misplaced priorities, and presumption. Those are the things that meet the conditions for revival. We just can't be the way we are and say, okay, Lord, bring revival. It doesn't work that way. He works in us first. Revive us, because if we're revived, we're part of the revival. It's us. I need to be revived. You need to be revived. If you say you don't, then you won't be revived. But that doesn't stop God. Like I said, all it could take is one person here who gets set on fire and it can spread. And I believe God can do that. I'd rather have it the other way where it's more than one. It begins with. The people who are online, you can watch this um, song after. Um, I've played this song before, but I just kept coming back to it. And um, don't watch it as entertainment, but watch it as, okay, Lord, um, give me that first fire that I had before. Give me, give me that, and I know you can. If I, if, I, if I want it and I'm asking, you'll give it to me. For your spirit.